0: This episode of the Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by the members of the U.S. Naval Institute. Our members write, debate, and discuss key issues that ultimately strengthen the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. Benefits include a subscription to our award-winning Proceedings Magazine, discounts to over a 1,000 titles from books published by the Naval Institute Press, and graphic novels from Dead Reckoning, a discounted subscription to Naval History Magazine, special invitations to conferences and events, and access to 146 years of archival information such as historic photos, oral histories, and so much more. For more, go to usni.org join. Welcome to the Proceedings podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me for this episode is the Proceedings Editor in Chief, Bill Hamlet. Hello, Bill, and welcome back to Beach Hall yeah, and uh, our new media facility. Yeah, we're back in Studio A. Is that what we're calling it? Studio we're, A. Yeah, we have a real studio. It's now. Studio Double AA, A, Triple A. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> no, that's why you're hearing such pleasant FM tones with us now, because we're uh, here in person, side by side. And no more um, you and me, at least on uh, teams. So uh, it's a real pleasure to be be back in person.
1: Yeah, we're broadcasting from the media booth or the sound booth of the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center, which is really really close to completion. The it's good conference there. center, but the, it's nice to be in this you know sound deadened uh, media studio. And uh, we've done a couple of events here now. We did the American Sea Power Project. Event in April, we did we broadcast annual meeting. We broadcast the annual meeting from here. Yep. This is now the second episode of the podcast from here. So it's uh, it's, it's nice. old hat. It is now yeah,
0: we're used is. to this professional quality stuff. Now <laughs> we 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 get used to it fast. That's great. All right, so why don't we just get right to our guest who's joining us from halfway around the world? Yeah, today we've got on the line from
1: Bahrain, uh, Lieutenant Commander Jordan Bradford, U.S. Navy. He is the commanding officer of the USS Typhoon a cyclone-class patrol coastal craft based out in uh, in Bahrain. So he's a surface warfare officer, and he wrote an article that we published online in Proceedings in May called The Mark Six is Dead, Long Live the Mark VII. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Bradford, welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. Hello, yeah, thank you very much for having me. So, yeah, this is a bit uh, of uh, pure magic uh, that you're, calling us from about eight or nine time zones from from here so what time is it in Bahrain right now uh, it's
2: uh, just about 9 p.m here
1: gotcha gotcha so finished up a long day are you as your uh, ship been in, uh, in port for a couple of days what's your what's your op tempo like with the uh, the typhoon
2: yeah it's uh, it's uh, very fast paced out here so uh, I've got a few days off uh, so I'm really glad the uh, the schedule here worked out and I was able to uh, meet up with you guys
1: yeah, so uh, for our listeners, some of whom may be uh, familiar with the fact that the, the Navy has built these uh, Mark Six patrol craft, and then there was news a couple months ago that the Navy was canceling the program and going to uh, decommission or get rid of all the Mark Sixes, and then it put that plan on hold. I think because it was it actually costs money sometimes to get rid of old equipment. It's like uh, brac.
0: It yeah. costs money to close a base. That's right. right?
1: That's right. And uh, and then it's you know we're we're hearing uh, kind of conflicting news about whether the Navy is going to keep the Mark Sixes or get rid of the Mark Sixes, but you wrote this piece uh, basically at that time saying, hey, the Mark Six is going away, but we need a Mark Seven. So just uh, give our, our listeners the thirty thousand uh, foot perspective of uh, your thoughts on the need for a patrol craft, the need for a Mark Seven, and what what that might look like in your in your thinking.
2: Really, what I was trying to highlight is is the need for for a small or maybe even very small surface combatant, uh, no, no larger than what you would typically consider to be a Corvette. So, I was trying to to look at what may be a replacement for both the Cyclone and the Mark Six, and combining maybe the, the best aspects of both. Uh, I have some LCS experience. I'm a big proponent of water jet propulsion uh, in terms of the maneuverability it gives you in addition to the speed. So I really like the idea of taking the Mark VI's water jet propulsion and then pairing it with a cyclone-sized replacement vessel. Uh, and then, in addition to that, trying to give it some, some sort of teeth, uh, the, the credible threat uh, to a, a actual full-size warship uh, that uh, is, can be operated by a pure competitor, uh, something that can really reach out and touch someone. Uh, and really, the goal there is to to be able to fulfill those those lower end presence operations, the constabulary type roles, maritime security operations, uh, take care of all of those on a day to day basis uh, in the COCOMs, you know, around the world. But at the same time, still be able to contribute to fleet operations in the higher end fight.
1: Yeah, that that makes uh, sense. Uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, it's like to have uh, you know junior level command. So you're commanding you're a commanding officer of a USS ship. Um, as an 04, this is in lieu of a department head tour. Uh, What was your your command track like to get to where you are right now as the CEO of of the Typhoon?
0: So
2: for service warfare officers, early command can happen in lieu of a department head ride uh, or immediately following. So in my case, I did uh, my two department head rides aboard USS Detroit. I was the combat systems officer and then the operations officer. Uh, And then I went straight from there into the command track pipeline uh, and then reported uh, here to USS Typhoon in January. Uh, as for what it's like, um, I, I thought that I was uh, I was kind of prepared for for it, uh, having done the department head ride and, and served aboard multiple ships. Uh, but I can state at this point that uh, there's nothing quite like stepping on board and knowing that that that's your ship, it's your crew, and there's no one to turn to at that point. That that it's got to be you. It, it's a new level of responsibility. Uh, that can't really be mimicked at any other uh, point of our careers, uh, which which is uh, another point that I was I made in the article, which is uh, as we begin to sunset Mark Six and Cyclone class, the opportunities for early command are going to dramatically uh, dwindle for service warfare officers. So another you know pretty substantial benefit of of a Mark Seven or a, a PC replacement would be reinvigorating that program and possibly even expanding it affording more uh, lieutenant commanders that opportunity uh, which really only benefits the service as you then have a cadre of officers who prior to their commander command ride on a board a destroyer and LCS were given that experience at a, at a smaller level uh, with a smaller crew to thus you know hone their leadership skills hone their management skills uh, and as well as their seamanship and uh, warfare fighting.
1: So your article starts off, you say, the Navy appears poised to sunset the Mark Six and the Cyclone-class patrol craft programs rapidly. Uh, and it's done this before throughout history, only to discover after hostilities have begun that the decision was mu- misguided. Torpedo boats of World War II are instrumental in ensuring success of the Pacific Island Hopping Campaign. The Vietnam War saw the need for riverine boats to patrol deep inland. The Navy needed riverine forces to patrol the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. During Operation Iraqi Freedom, and yet once again, as competition with a rival great power increases, the Navy finds itself on the verge of having no small patrol craft. If the Mark VI was gone before we even knew her, perhaps it's time to ponder what a Mark Seven design should entail. So tell our listeners a little bit about um, the, the Mark VI as it is uh, in terms of tonnage, in terms of weapons capability and crew size. And also your ship, the, the Cyclone-class patrol craft, uh, how, many, how many officers, how many crew, what are the major weapon systems, and, and then we'll, we'll get into what you think uh, a Mark Seven should look like. Uh, so
2: the, the Mark VIs, uh, we've operated with them fairly regularly out here. They're, they do fantastic work, uh, predominantly doing escort missions, uh, port security, uh, that type of, uh, and, and also partner interactions and that, that sort of mission. Uh, they're smaller than a Cyclone-class. Uh, again, like I mentioned earlier, water jet propulsion. Uh, the crew is, is smaller. They're, they've got one 25-millimeter chain gun up for it and then a, a series of cruiser weapons around them. Uh, in that instance, the, the armament is pretty similar to a Cyclone class. So we have two 25-millimeters. Uh, we also have the same cruiser serve weapons. Uh, we've got Griffin missiles, uh, which gives a little bit more punch. Uh, and then for us, the crew complement would be uh, 25 to 30, depending on Manning. Uh, our officer complement, uh, including the commanding officer, is four, uh, with the remainder being uh, enlisted. Um, and so what I would, what I then kind of was looking at was how to meld those two and create something that would potentially offer a little bit more capability uh, to combatant commanders, uh, while not getting so large or so expensive as to be untenable. Uh, so I looked at kind of uh, roughly cyclone class, about 200 uh, feet long, uh, about 500 ton class, give or take. Uh, and then the goal there again would be to have a relatively simplistic uh, engineering plant, uh, something that can use the maneuverability of, of water jets uh, with the fuel economy of diesel engines, but not getting not heading down the uh, Freedom variant LCS uh, rabbit hole of of too many gearing systems uh, that then complicate and increase the maintenance requirements. So simplistic engineering plant, and then the other thing that I really harped on was not going out of your way to invent uh, new programs or new weapon systems uh, for the platform. Again, the main goal being to drive down risk, to to take systems that are already proven in the field, that already exist, we already have uh, subject matter experts on uh, the maintaining and repairing of these systems, the part support exists, and then implementing them on a whole so that we can rapidly field it. So uh, a couple of systems I identified that would work fairly well would be the 57mm uh, that the both LCS and the now Constellation-class frigate are using, uh, pairing that potentially with an adaptive deck launcher, uh, something to really provide a, not necessarily VLS capability, but a missile launching capability. Uh, again, standalone missile launchers like the Naval Strike Missile or, or a Harpoon or something there would be fine, uh, but if you could get that adaptive deck launcher that allows you to swap out missile types you obviously gain a, a pretty large degree of flexibility uh that a
0: standalone launcher wouldn't provide on top of that uh serve weapons so jordan what is the mission set in very general terms and where do these class ships fit in with the big picture kind of depends on the the combatant commander that we talk about so
2: one of the things i envisioned was Buying these in bulk, so uh, the Coast Guard uh, has bought the uh, fast response cutter. They're buying at 60, 65 of them, doing a similar type purchase there where we can push them out more or less around the world. So you could put some in Key West working for Southcom where they could do counter-drug operations. They can go uh, uh, interdict uh, you know, drug runners in the Caribbean. Uh, you could put them here in Bahrain where they can continue to do the missions that the Cyclone and the Mark VI are doing. Uh, interoperability with your partner nations, maritime security operations, uh, visit board search and seizure, transiting uh, through the sea lines of communication, uh, major straits, high-value unit escort. And then you can also put them in places in the Pacific where they can then contribute to the high-end fight again if you have that adaptive deck launcher or some type of offensive missile like the naval strike missile. That would enable them to hold full-size warships at risk. Uh, one of the things you could even get into is developing a, a larger conop, where perhaps you pair them up with LCS, where they, the LCS can operate as a mothership, and these ships can then operate in tandem as a littoral, you know, strike group, for lack of a better term. Uh, more on you could also go back kind of to the origin of the Cyclone class and integrate them with naval special warfare, with Marine Corps raiders putting a, a squad, perhaps, on each of them, enabling them to then operate in and around the island chains, uh, allowing them to put troops ashore, get in, uh, and pull out. Uh, the other side is you can work with amphibious groups. They can do boat lane security. Uh, they can serve as uh, ship-to-shore connectors. Uh, that When you're talking about a ship this size, particularly with, with the maneuverability that, that we're discussing, there's a whole lot that they can do that would then free up our larger destroyer-class ships. To go focus on those higher level missions,
1: Jordan. How many of the PCs are currently based in Bahrain? How many how many ships out there of the Cyclone class are, are there? And also, you mentioned that um, you have been working with some of the Mark Sixes. How how many and, and do they come and go? The Mark Sixes. Uh, how are they getting in and out of theater?
2: So we've got uh, we've got ten Cyclone classes out here uh, at the moment. They do a rotational crew. Uh, that's a little bit different than the way that LCS works in, in that the crew certify stateside. They fly out and then they operate the ships or the boats that are already here. Uh, so in, uh, between four and six Mark sixes, and like I said, about 10 cyclone class.
0: What's the day in the life out there, op tempo wise, where's your tasking come from? Uh, are you reporting direct to fifth fleet? Um, is there uh, some CTF that you're, you're, that you come under in, in terms of, uh, you know, OpCon, how does, it, how does it work, and how often do you put to sea, and how long are the missions, etc
2: So we do work for a CTF, CTF-55 out here. Uh, they own uh, all the PCs uh, and the Mark sixes uh, for some of the missions, but all the PCs for all, at all times. Uh, as for the, uh, the missions, that is a, an incredibly variable uh, assignment. So that could be anywhere from, from a day or two uh, out to two weeks, uh, and, or even longer. So there have been some PCs recently where uh, they'll be at sea for a week to uh, two weeks, uh, but they won't be returning to Bahrain, so they'll hop between other uh, ports for refuel and refit uh, in order to remain on station. Uh, and again, most of those missions are going to be the high-value escort, uh, straits transits, uh, and general maritime security operations, as well as building the, uh, the maritime domain awareness, so establishing pattern of life uh, and that sort of mission.
1: So you're spending quite a bit of time doing uh, straight-of-Hormuz patrols? Uh, yes, yeah, some of
2: the PCs are. Again, it's it's it's, uh, it's kind of random depending on what your tasking is at, at that moment based on, on your material condition, your maintenance schedule, uh, and that sort of thing.
1: So a minute ago you mentioned the Sentinel-class uh, fast response cutters that the Coast Guard is building, 60 or 70 of them. Um, and in your article you mentioned that that could be a hull form uh, and even even a, a basic ship type that could be adapted to navy use. Um, are you seeing the FRCs out there in, in Fifth Fleet, and and if so, you know, have you worked with them, and to what extent is is it, their tasking in Fifth Fleet right now, um, sort of interoperable or interchangeable with the, what your uh, Cyclone class ships are doing?
2: So the the first two FRCs did arrive, uh, but it was it was extremely recently. Uh, so they they just they're still getting settled here. Uh, I've not had the opportunity to work with them yet. Uh, however, I, I'm a very big fan. I watched them uh, pull in uh, on their arrival, and, and I mean they're magnificent ships. Uh, and I do I think there's a lot of, of opportunity there where you know instead of painting them white, we paint them gray. Uh, Buy you know the same number or or you know some number of them, uh, and then execute the exact same mission. They can do so much of of what the PC currently offers. And, and again, like I was trying to describe, there's a lot of value in most combatant commander, most AORs right now, uh, for a small surface combatant that can embark, you know, in various detachments, like Coast Guard LIDET, uh, Naval service, uh, naval Special Warfare, uh, or Marine Corps riders uh, that then give you even more opportunity uh, to integrate, you know, across the joint force.
0: So tensions with Iran rise and fall. How, how are we at this moment? Are you Are you? doing some stuff where you, you wind up, you know, having to defend shipping from their patrol boats. They like to harass commercial shipping as it comes through the Strait of Hormuz. Have you done any of that sort of stuff? Uh, so I, I have not drawn any
2: any of those missions. Uh, as usual, um, you know, our, our job is, is to protect high-value units from any threat, whatever that may be, uh, and just ensure the the safe transit uh, and the uh, the open navigation Um and freedom of the seas for, for anyone that happens to be in the area.
1: Jordan, what do you hear from your fellow SWO JOs, uh, you know, other lieutenants, lieutenant commanders, JGs, uh, about the idea of early command and what that does uh, to their morale, to their career path, um, and also, it, as it looks like the Navy might be getting out of that business, how does that impact their thinking about retention, their thinking about the career path you know, it's a long time to wait until you're a commander to, to have your ex-OCO tour. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious, it, it you know, you're you're a 2009 uh, graduate of the Naval Academy, so you're about, you know, 12 years into your career here. So you've got a few more years before 05 level command comes your way. Um, what's the discussion among your peer group about early command? I think
2: early command is, is a pretty significant retention tool. I think that that that, in combination with the uh, warfare uh, tactic instructor, are probably our two best uh, programs at retaining some of our top talent. Uh, I know that during my department head ride, there were JOs who the opportunity or the even possibility of commanding their own Mark Six boat at the 03 level was one of the main factors in them deciding to stay in uh, the surface Navy as opposed to depart and, and pursue other options you know, one of the mantras in the service community for a while now has been command early and command often. And I think, at least from what I can tell, that, you know, the younger generations have really bought into that idea and are very excited to pursue those opportunities.
1: You know, the Navy sort of reversed itself recently. Mark 6, we're getting rid of it. Now we're going to keep it. Uh, what, do you, what are you hearing these days? Is it Is it going away or is it just a matter of time? Is it a, you know, we, we need the right amount of money at the right time to get rid of them? Or, are they, or is the Navy you know, reconsidering the decision and actually, you know, planning to keep it?
2: You no, know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, you guys probably hear more than I do uh, on, on that type of front. You're a little closer uh, to D.C. than I am. Uh, I know that out here they're, they're continuing to operate. Uh, again, I actually worked with them uh, a few days ago, uh, so I know that they're operating at the moment. Um, I'm not really sure what exactly the future holds.
1: Gotcha. So I remember in, in 1994 I was lieutenant, based at Little Creek with SEAL Team 4. I was the intelligence officer for the team. And at the time, the, uh, the PCs were just coming into the force. I remember going over to um, Special Warfare, uh, the boat, the Special Boat Squadron, sorry, boat, Special Boat Squadron on the other side of Little Creek. Uh, and the first two PCs had been delivered there. Um, and, I, and having a tour of one of them. So this is summer of 1994, brand new. It was probably the Cyclone. Um, and a beautiful ship. And I remember the CO was a lieutenant, the XO was a lieutenant, and they were about as jazzed as you could be to be in the Navy at that time. I mean, you know, young JOs, they got command. Uh, It's a brand new ship. It still had the new car smell. It was just like this gorgeous, cool ship. And they were doing a lot of stuff with special warfare because they actually were bought for a special warfare platform. They've since become more of a of a navy gray hull, as you know, you, you pointed out, all ten of them are there in Bahrain now, doing more uh, sea control, sea denial, um, you know, and, and uh, security kinds of, uh, of functions. But uh, how many more years do you think the the PCs have got? It, it, do you have a decommissioning date yet for for your ship, for Typhoon? Uh,
2: no, nothing official yet. I know that the discussions are happening. Um, you know, at, at this point, kind of like you mentioned, I mean, we're, we're coming up on about 30 years uh, for these ships, and, and they've been ridden hard. Uh, they, they, don't, they definitely don't have the new ship smell anymore. Uh, I can confirm that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do my best to keep it around, but uh, I think the air fresher that's hanging on the uh, bridge can only do so much. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I, I think that, uh, that it's probably sooner rather than later. Uh, I think that uh, at some point we'll, we'll hear kind of more official word. Uh, which, which is, again, is all the more reason to really be looking at, at you know, and a- asking ourselves the question of, of what comes next. What comes next for early command? What comes next for small service combatants? What comes next for these mission sets? Uh, as, as, is LCS going to take it or, or is there a, an opportunity there potentially for FRC or for a new hull design uh, to fill in that gap?
0: So are the families of your crew in Bahrain or is this an unaccompanied tour? Uh, that
2: depends on the sailors. Um, so some, some of them do have that option. It depends on the length of the tour uh, that their orders uh, are written for, as to whether or not they get uh, the accompanied option. Um, so uh, my wife was able to uh, to come out here on accompanied orders with me. So we're we're both out here.
0: So are you guys living um, on what's it called ASU? What what's the base there called? Uh, the, it's NSA. Yeah, yeah. are you living? Are you living on NSA? Or are you guys? Is is out in town a thing? I know that for a while, force protection prevented that. But I, I've had a couple of beers in Manama. It's not that bad. Um, but are you guys living on on base or, or out in town? Yeah, uh, we're we're out in town. We have a, a wonderful uh, flat that we're uh, we're renting while we're here, uh,
2: with uh, with a fantastic
1: view of the water.
0: Yeah, I don't think your average American realizes that uh, you know some of the Middle Eastern cities are pretty cosmopolitan and pretty nice. You know, Manama is one that comes to mind. It's yeah. no Dubai, but, you know, it's not bad. Yeah, I was going right. to say Dubai. That's you got the British expat, you know, bars and other things that you can do there. We always managed to to have a good time on our way to JTF Suar, wherever we were going when we went to Manama. Um, so, yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. We've,
2: we've had an absolutely fantastic time since we got here. So it's only been a few months, uh, but, again, everyone's very welcoming, uh, I think, as far as uh, – Middle Eastern countries go, uh, I think Bahrain is probably one of the easier ones to be able to settle in. Uh, there's there's a very large population here that, that speaks English. Uh, and again, everyone has been extremely welcome. We've had a great time so far.
1: Let's get back for a second to the Sentinel-class fast response cutter. So you know, it's interesting, since I've joined the Naval Institute and, uh, you know, my current, I guess, vantage point looking across the sea services as we do in my Navy career, I really didn't think a whole lot about the Coast Guard. I mean, I knew that they did great things. They had 11 statutory missions, and, you know, they, they did their thing. And and the Navy, I don't think, paid a whole lot of attention to the Coast Guard. It was kind of separate lanes and separate budgets and separate departments of, uh, of the U.S. government and, you know, respect for them, but, you know, not a whole lot of interaction. And now it, it seems... Um, you know, more and more Coast Guard cutters are deploying on what we would traditionally think are Navy missions. Uh, there's an awful lot of interaction between the Coast Guard and 7th Fleet, the Coast Guard and 5th Fleet, the Coast Guard and 6th Fleet. And our Coast Guard cutter was recently up in, uh, in the Black Sea doing what we would normally consider, a, you know, a Navy forward presence mission. You know, you mentioned, mentioned a couple of the fast response cutters, you know, just showing up there in, in Bahrain but there's been other, you know, Coast Guard cutters permanently stationed there for a long time, doing a lot of the same types of work that, that you do, uh, that the Navy does out there. And, and I, th- I guess because of the vantage point I have and doing a lot more and looking at a lot more Coast Guard, uh, you know, mission sets, but also a lot of Coast Guard authors for proceedings, this idea of buying some of the same hull forms that the Coast Guard's buying for the Navy it's like a new idea to me. I'm sure there's other people who have been thinking about this probably for 30, 40 years. But, you know, I looked at the the, the fast response cutter and go, man, that's a really capable kind of cool ship. But I knew that the PCs were coming up on 30 years uh, of service. And so that's a long time for a small ship. Uh, it, to me, it just makes in, inherent sense. I'm just kind of curious. Um, you know, you you put this in your article. Uh, have you had you know conversations with fellow Coast Guard officers or with other Navy officers about – you know, hey, would you know this would pretty this would make a pretty cool replacement for either the Mark Six or the or the PCs.
2: Yeah, I've absolutely had the conversation, and, and again, I you know just to be clear, th- these are my opinions. I certainly don't speak for, for the entire Navy or, or the, the government or any anything like that. Uh, but it it's one of those things where you look at it and it kind of strikes you as that just makes a lot of sense. It, it, if, if I were to go and, and clean slate design a cyclone class PC today, it would probably look a whole lot like the fast response cutter. So if these things are already built, if the, the risk has already been driven down, the, the supply chain exists, the part support exists, it makes a lot of sense to capitalize on that. Particularly if, if we're talking as we move forward, there's only going to be so much money in any given budget. So it makes a lot of sense to be able to then capitalize on all this pre-existing work. Again, take them, paint them gray. Maybe there's a couple things you need to do from a, a sensor perspective or a datalink perspective. Something to be able to integrate with the larger Navy fleet a little bit more than the Coast Guard might have on their design. But it certainly wouldn't be a complete redesign or a completely new hull, a new engineering plant, or, or what generally entails so much of the risk of a new design.
1: Is an FRC large enough uh does it does it have a helicopter pad and can you land a helicopter on it or can you just you know uh lifeline somebody down you know hoist somebody on and off of, a, of an frc yeah, there's there's no uh no helipad
2: i imagine you could probably uh lower someone down uh, i haven't seen it done I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't be able to uh and, and again that was kind of where i was looking at uh their their overall length i think is a, is a touch shorter than uh, a cyclone class so, you know, on my wish list of, of things, what I was picturing was a, a small helipad uh, that could serve for both launch and recovery, but would also have a, re- a retractable awning that would then enable you uh, for that space to double as the helicopter hangar. So trying to really, you know, cut down on, on space. Uh, but again here, the goal would not be a manned helicopter. So we're not talking about a, a full-size uh, Seahawk type helicopter, we're talking more of a UAV. So... Picturing the Fire Scout from LCS or a Scan Eagle, something in that medium range, and the primary purpose there would be for a, that an airborne ISR, something that can talk to the ship's com- uh, combat systems, can detect things at a further range than a shipboard uh, radar can, and then push that information back
1: down to the ship. Uh, how about tying in uh, via data link with uh, with larger ships or with uh, the, the the fleet level? So on the on the PCs, do you have both Mark 11 and Mark 16 data links?
2: So uh, we don't use data links uh, on the uh, the PCs, um, we, we have some other, other capabilities where we can push things back to the fleet. Uh, and that was one of those those uh, capabilities that I thought would be really important for, for a next generation or a replacement. Something that would enable it, particularly if we're talking about putting an anti-ship missile on, on this uh, platform, something that where other vessels can push targeting data to it, that it could then engage, or uh, giving it the ability to push that targeting data elsewhere. So you're talking about a scouting-type uh, mission or, again, the maritime domain awareness, something where you could push a, a cheaper ship out to assume a little bit more risk and then pass targeting data back, having that data link would be absolutely vital. So I think if we were to pursue a next-generation PC,
0: uh, Mark seven, if you will, I think that would be an extremely important capability. So this question may be out of your lane, uh, but I think often, in fact, Bill and I were talking about this, the other day when there, somebody submitted an article about modifying the, the SWO training track um, but didn't kind of run it to practical ground in terms of assets and try, you know training track and, and that sort of thing. So let's imagine somebody says, okay, love your idea, Commander Bradford, let's go with it. So what is your general sense of how rapidly could we procure these? Because some of this, as you said, we're just leveraging existing hulls. So, how long do you think it would take to to, to get these class ships uh, to IOC? Uh,
2: I, th- I think the first part of that question, where that that would be you know out of my lane, is is pretty accurate. Uh, I best guess uh, probably a year or two, I would think, and that's probably being a little optimistic. Um, you know, I think so much of that, particularly if you went the FRC route, that would depend so much on existing contracts and and when those would wrap up and when the the uh, supply line and everything else would be able to shift over. Um, as for training tracks, I don't think you would necessarily need all that much of, of dedicated training. Again, because we're trying to capitalize on existing ships, existing systems. So, would from a mariner standpoint, we need to learn how to drive FRCs? Yes, probably. Uh, but those exist right now. We could we could probably come up with a program to learn from the Coast Guard aboard their existing FRCs. But if you know, if we put a 25 millimeter on there. It's the same 25 millimeter that's on most of the ships in the fleet. So I wouldn't require additional training for those technicians or for those operators. That already exists. And that was really what I was trying to drive at was, in addition to driving down the, the risk of the development of the ship, it would also, by necessity, drive down any additional training costs that would, would exist.
0: So this is basically a rapid prototype, rapid acquisition potential here. If you say two years, that's, you know, in a, in a world where JSF takes 30 years— um, from you know RFP to IOC, you're talking about pretty quick. We can get this capability to the fleet pretty quick. You know, I,
2: I would think so. But again, that's uh, that's really me just throwing a uh, dart at a board right now. I uh, I've full full disclosure, I've not gone to DC and and uh, and got that uh, that ticket punched on my uh, my card yet. So uh, my idea of timelines might be a little bit different. Uh, basically based on uh my lack of experience there well that's the other
0: thing about 04 command is you have some time built in now to go to dc <laughs> and uh cool your heels and look learn, learn about the big picture in, in myriad ways so uh yeah see your future danny
1: yeah. the nav the Nav-C commander will listen to the podcast and and, and pu- pull him <laughs> it's what on. we call a by name call <laughs> um Jordan, I'm I'm curious. You know, you mentioned that you went you, know, you went to command of the typh- I'm sorry, yeah, typhoon um, after your uh, department head tours. Um, to my question, I guess is uh, how much extra training track is needed for this early command path, right? So, um, in addition to what you know, the training that your fellow department head SWOs have had. What extra time did you need to get in a pathway to get to the the command of of Typhoon?
2: That was actually what was was really interesting and and rewarding, is that most of the training track uh, was the same as it would be for commander command. So uh, again, there's not a lot of early command slots right now. So as I was going through that training track, and the whole track with some slack time took about six months roughly, uh, maybe a little bit less. Uh, but as I was going through these classes, it was predominantly uh, more senior officers who were going on to uh, their exo-CO fleet-up rides on board destroyers or LCS, uh, and that was really what the, the courses were geared towards. There was very little distinction between an early command CO uh, and a full O five 5 CO, uh, which which was very rewarding. Uh, obviously, the challenges that we face you know, are a little bit different, particularly in scale. Um, you know, 25 to 30 sailors is certainly different than 250, uh, but the overall lessons and the philosophy uh, that they were teaching, uh, all of that was applicable. And, and we had, again, that it was phenomenal. It was fantastic. Uh, but the short answer is about six months.
1: Well, that's great. I didn't realize that they sent you through the same PXO, PCO course that the O5 commanders uh, were getting. That's great. Our good yeah, friend our good friend and uh, editorial board uh, member, Captain Scott Smith, is the head of uh, PCO training up at uh, up at Swass in Newport. He's a great guy. Um, let's see, I was going to ask you uh, one more question just oh, uh, on, on propulsion systems. So uh, you, you know, in your bio, uh, we noted that uh, you uh, served as uh, combat systems and operations officer on board the Detroit LCS-7. So that's a, a freedom class uh, LCS. Uh, we, we've run some ship handling articles and proceedings, professional notes over the last uh, year or so, about how to drive both classes or both variants, if you will, of the, of the littoral combat ship, and um, they both sound a li- little bit more like driving a stealth fighter than they do about you know uh, how to drive a ship. Um, so water jets and the you know the, the propulsion system is really it's pretty high tech, and we know that the uh, the Freedom class is, and, and you you mentioned have had some some problems with their propulsion systems, fairly famous, right? Um, so. What would, and you mentioned that water jets would be a great thing to have on a, a Mark 7 or on a, uh, you know, a PC replacement. Talk a little bit about that, about what, what a, in your mind, a um, propulsion plant would have, how many screws or water jets, um, what, what's the draft essentially, how close can you operate to shore, uh, what, are the, what are the kind of things that, that uh, are driven by the propulsion system there?
2: Okay, sure. So, uh, full disclosure: water jets ruined me. They uh, they were absolutely fantastic. So, I mean, the the level of control that water jets give you compared to uh, to screws it it's remarkable. So, uh, your approach to peers is different. Uh, you know, I'm having to relearn some of the the older school way. Uh, now I'm the Cyclone, having to break some of my my bad water jet habits just because the water jets made things uh, so so easy. So you could come in, get parallel to the pier, and then for a water jet ship, you can make it dance side to side. So you don't need tugs. You just get next to the pier and, and you can make the ship walk. Uh, so that was really very fresh in my mind as I was just kind of mulling over what a, a PC replacement would look like. If we want a ship that can access more remote, more austere ports, they can operate, uh, in, in shallower ports, uh, having those water jets really makes it a little bit easier uh, because you don't need it as much of the infrastructure. You don't need uh, the ability to have maybe a wider turning basin or finger piers or tugs. Uh, you can you can go in and out uh, much more easily on your own with, with the water jets. And the jets also uh, give you that ability to have a little bit less draft. So You know, for a ship that size, and again, not a naval architect, I'm probably going to have them banging their heads against the wall, but, uh, you know, 10 10 feet, somewhere around there would probably be pretty reasonable for a 500-ton, 200-foot-long ship. Uh, And what I was picturing there, again, is is something where you have uh, fairly reliable, efficient diesel engines, each one of which is coupled with a water jet. Uh, and I borrowed from the Freedom variant. They're set up where you have the two outboard water jets that are steerable and the two inboards that only come on, uh, we called it boost jets, they only come on for higher speed. So generally speaking, you would use one of your two outboards, uh, and that's all you would really need for most of your operations to drive around and really increase that fuel efficiency uh, and enable you to stay at sea a little bit longer without requiring a refuel. However, you would have the ability to bring all four online. Uh, and again, water jets with a semi planing hull, they're going to get you a speed somewhere in the realm of 30 knots, possibly higher, possibly lower, uh, but somewhere in that realm, which would be more than sufficient for, for the missions that we've described.
1: Our guest today has been Lieutenant Commander Jordan Bradford, U.S. Navy. He is the commanding officer of the USS Typhoon PC-5, homeported in Bahrain. He uh, is the author of the May Proceedings article titled, The Mark Six is Dead, Long Live the Mark Seven. Jordan, it's been great to have you on the show.
2: Absolutely. Thank you guys very much for having
1: me. All right. We look forward to the next uh, article you write for us, or give us an update on this one as you hear you know, where the Navy is headed in terms of early command and where you might be going next in, uh, in your career. We, uh, we definitely invite you to keep writing for Proceedings. Absolutely. All right. That wraps up another episode of the Proceedings Podcast. Until next time, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.